she I said, I got this new song and it's bananas, dude. It is like this is this could be something good. And she goes, Well, sing it to me. And I was like, You want me to just sing it to you over the phone? And she was like, Yeah, sing it to me. So I took this big old block ass phone and I put it up <laughs> to my head and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, it kind of goes like this. I'm like, click, click, boom, I'm coming down on the stereo. Hit me on the radio. Click, click, boom, I'm coming down with the new style. And you know it's pop, pop. And dude, she was like, oh my God, oh my God, go get on a plane, get your ass out here to LA. We're, we're going to record that. That's going on the album. Because the album was done, man. It was a rap here with you and uh and uh talking about the new band and everything i'm really excited yeah dude it's an honor man just to be talking to you i i uh oh, i grew you, up man. listening to the saliva that was a huge thing for me okay uh, but you know what i want to talk about you know right off the bat talk about shade violent what is this all about is this a new uh solo thing going on yeah you know um I've been doing the solo thing now for almost a year and uh, I'm doing my son, my stepson is actually my rhythm guitar player. His name's Don Mike Delone. And, uh, you know, I, I thought about, you know, just being the Josie Scott band or I didn't really know what to call it, you know? Um, and I just, after talking with him and, and, you know, talking with my wife and everything, I just thought it would be, and my manager, I just thought it would be more inclusive to have a band name. You know what I mean? I've always, I've always liked being in bands, but mm. uh, with, with, uh, I think it, it, um, promotes more of a, a group dynamic, that sort of four or five way marriage that you need in a band. So I, I had the name shade violent for a long time. Uh, I talked with uh, Head from Corn about it, and I was like, man, I was like, I got this name, but I don't know if it's cool or not. It's kind of cool sounding to me. I really love the name. I said, what do you think about it, man? And I told it to him. He goes, man, he goes, Shade Violent. That could be pretty cool, man. Like, you could do different shades and show violence on the like album cover. And he had all these good ideas right off the bat, and I was like, yep. That's the one. And it's an S word. Yeah. It, it's a what word? Say that again. It's a. It's an S word. S word. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keep the S alive, you know. Yeah. Hey, speaking of S, you, you know, Scott, my name's Scott. You see, you know. Yes, sir. A lot in common going. But no, that's really cool. I love, um, I love Brian Welch, man. He's, he's awesome. That, that's yeah. cool. It's really cool that you can keep your, you know, keep your friendship going over the years, you know. Do you, do you keep in contact with a lot of people like that that you toured with? Yeah, you know, uh, I've been I've been pretty pretty lucky and blessed and fortunate to 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 keep a lot of my friends over the years. Um Ben from Breaking Benjamin is a good friend. Um his guitar player uh is a good friend. I love his music. Um uh and like I said, head and uh uh, Monkey ha has been a good friend over the year. Monkey actually encouraged me uh, when I was getting in shape and I was losing all the weight and 
and uh, really taking my health into consideration and taking everything uh, to the next level health wise and workout wise. He was, he was like, man, he goes, you, I'm just so impressed by how dedicated you are. And you look so good, man. You, you, you just turned it all around. I'm so proud of you, you know? And also Brent from Shinedown was the same way. And he was like, man, I'm just so proud of you get getting in shape and, you know, doing your thing and taking your health seriously and, and uh, taking that to the next level. And how do you, you get know, in shape, man? But do, how do you, I didn't mean to cut you off, but how, what are you doing? Are you all like on doing like some kind of fasting or, or uh, not fasting? What intermittent, intermittent? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what diet you're on. Inter intermittent fasting? Yes. I'm I, sorry. Yeah. I, thank you. I kind of do a version of that. I kind of came up with my own thing because I think with my experience with dieting and uh, I've always been a, a, a chubby kid, you know, my whole life. And I've always, my mother uh, has dealt with her weight her whole life. My dad was like Elvis. He just mm. came out of his mother, 5'10 and tan and gorgeous and 155 pounds. And, and he, he literally ate, like shit dude he he would eat a <laughs> box of little debbies and never gain an ounce oh and, god but i took after my mother man so i've always you know uh had trainers and diets and these different fads and i did the atkins thing for a while and i you know you, you count calories and you count fat grams and you count carbohydrates and i finally found something that really works for me and me and my wife came up with it. Me and my wife, Kendra, just uh, sort of did a household reset for ourselves and our children. We have um, three children that are uh, 17, 11, and 8. Mm -hmm. And we just said, well, if we're going to eat healthier, then we we should just, you know, make it a, a household-wide thing. And we kind of cut out a lot of the sugars and we made it like if we want something that has sugar in it, we have it. And it's, a, but it's a treat. You know what I mean? It, it's more of a, a treat type thing than it is an everyday all day type thing. And like we cut out soda. I mean, we have diet soda every once in a while. We drink a lot of water. Um, I do a, a version of inter intermittent fasting. I don't eat breakfast in the morning. I go straight to the gym. I work out, uh, from like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning to about two. And then I go uh, pick my, my daughters up from school. And uh, I, then I eat a meal uh, with them, you know, and I, I try to eat the food I'm going to eat. I try to eat between that little three to seven o'clock window. And then like the, like the, all the trainers say, once it gets dark, don't eat. Oh, so okay. after, after it gets dark, I, I cut it back off and I go on to the next day and <clears throat> excuse me, it's been just phenomenal for me. And we, you know, me and my wife, uh, my wife especially has made cooking healthy, good, you know, like just cause you're eating diet food or, or, or healthy food doesn't mean it has to be like rabbit food and you have to, it has to be like eating, eating cardboard because that's why I always got off diets because the food sucked, man. And right. I, I just, I couldn't figure out how to, how to eat. And 
but we've, you know, tried incorporating like garlic infused olive oils and uh, salts and uh, uh, different, uh, different peppers and uh, uh, olives and, and things of that nature. And it's more of a mixture of paleo and I call it the Adam and Eve diet. We just <laughs> eat any, anything Adam and Eve ate. We eat all we want of it. Like if I want some olives, I eat olives until I'm full, man. Uh, but <laughs> does your wife eat the apple? Like, cause you said Adam and Eve, right? So yeah. <laughs> that, and it's I'm, totally hot. She, it's totally hot. When she eats apple. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, is that going to be hard going on the road with that kind of diet? Uh, you know, in the future wise, I guess. No, I don't think so because I'm so dedicated to the workout aspect of it. You know, uh, when I get to a town, I can always hit the hotel gym. And if there's not a hotel gym, I had a trainer uh, one time named Tariq that was on the road with me. And uh, when I was in saliva, uh, the gym was closed one day and I thought I was going to get out of getting to work, at, uh, having to work out that day. And I was like, oh, gym's closed. <laughs> and he goes, uh, he goes, that's all right. He goes, just come back to the room. I got something we can do. And dude, he did <laughs> He did this workout with just, you know how in every hotel there's the office desk and the little office chair. Yeah, Dude, he did a workout with me with that office chair and he <laughs> wore my ass out, dude. I was wishing <laughs> the gym was open, but uh, I do, I do that little workout, you know, doing the uh, compression oh, yeah. pushups and uh, uh, doing sit-ups and everything. And then I go run, you know, I love running. I do four to eight miles a day. Uh, four to five times a week and um it that you know it, it it's helped my mental health uh scott so much uh that i don't think i could live without it and i have an addictive personality you know anything that that i enjoy doing i end up overdoing like steven tyler says anything worth doing is worth overdoing um <laughs> But yeah. yeah, I'm addicted to it, man. I love every minute of it. I have to do it every day or my, my mental health is not right. Um, yeah. But it's and it's affected every aspect of my life, man, not just my health uh, and not just my mental health. But, you know, it, it's affected how I talk, how I deal with people, my business acumen, everything. All positive, though, right? I mean, it's all good, uh, all good things, all yeah. good things, baby. <laughs> it's amazing how how we talk ourselves out of things like that. Like uh, if I get if I stop drinking or if I get healthy, it's gonna, you know, I don't know how I'm gonna act. But usually that ends up better, you know. But it's, yeah, it's well, bad. that's what I used to do, man. I I would do that self talk, like you said. That self talk will get you in more trouble than anything, man. Because I'll talk myself right out of it, dude. Yeah, you know. After about four or five sentences, that self-talk starts sounding really good, like it's <laughs> making a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, man. I want to talk about, obviously, saliva and going back, but, you know, I discovered, getting ready for this interview, I discovered Blackbone. Uh-huh. And, man, what a cool band you were in, Blackbone. That's before saliva, right? This is yeah, this that was before uh, saliva? Yeah, I, I call it, uh, I, I used to call it saliva boot camp because <laughs> it was, it was the coolest um the, it was the coolest way in the early uh late 80s early 90s uh to learn how this business works and to learn what it's like to 
to book a tour by yourself with no booking agent and no manager and no lawyer. Um, and you know what? It was actually, it turned out to be one of the most memorable, coolest times of my life because that was before the music got infiltrated, if you will, by all the business and the labels and everybody talking about money and publishing and percentages and, you know, when you take an art form like music or any art form, for that matter, and you infiltrate it with business, uh, uh, with uh, when it becomes more about money and, and percentages and who's getting what, and, uh, you know, people feeling slighted because they didn't get enough and, and this one got too much and all that. It, it just it 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 brings a doom and gloom over the artwork and it just makes you me anyway it makes me want to just go you know what i think i'm good um but uh it was one of the funnest times of my life in blackbone because i got to learn how all that worked i got to learn how to like i said book a tour how to go on tour how to deal with our car when it broke down or our van when it broke down how to get a trailer how to load in every every day how to load out every night and uh, how, what kind of time that was going to take and how to budget our money to get to the next show. You know, sometimes we didn't have enough money to get to the, to the next gig. You know what I'm saying? And, wow. and uh, we just, we had to, I don't know how in the world we did it, but we, we pretty much toured uh, most of the, most of the continental United States anyway, um, with, without fail, you know, with, without much of, uh, without much of a problem. I mean, we had some mechanical issues happen, like I said, and uh, we had some things uh, uh, happen within the band uh, th that, you know, after that, like I said, it's kind of like a five-year, uh, five-way marriage. And once you hit that, the five-year mark, you kind of, you start to learn each other's buttons. Yeah, the honeymoon's and, over. Right. Yeah, the honeymoon's over. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the one part that Blackbone didn't know how to deal with. And the one part we weren't ready for was we didn't know how to navigate once the honeymoon was over. And saliva, that's why I called Blackbone boot camp for saliva, is I knew all those things going into saliva. I knew the pitfalls and I knew... Um, uh, the, how to build the business and how we were going to have to get a manager and then we were going to have to get an entertainment lawyer and what entertainment law meant and just all these things uh, that I'm, I'm so glad and, and thankful and grateful that I was in Blackbone because it taught me a lot. Did uh, being in Blackbone, you know, you're such a great uh, front man. Was Blackbone kind of like, were you kind of, is that kind of like the, uh, the boot camp of learning to be a, you know, entertainer, so to speak, to be in front of people. Yeah, and... absolutely. You know, I was telling someone yesterday uh, in a podcast, I was like, you know, I experimented with everything. I wore a dress on stage. I would, uh, you know, um, try all these different, I wore makeup in different ways. And, and you know, I, I, sometimes I would wear a suit with a tie, you know what I mean? And, uh it, it just, it gave me uh, sort of the palette to explore all those things. And like you said, learn how to become an entertainer. 
learn yeah, how man. to work her out. Who was your um, influences when you're starting saliva? I mean, were you into like the new metal scene or were you into classic? I mean, were you just into a lot of things at the time? Man, I've always been into a lot of uh, different things. You know, growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, I was um, always into, you know, country music, of course. My dad was a country gospel artist. And, you know, I had that good gospel influence from my dad. And I was into like, you know, George Jones and, uh, uh, you know, Chris Christopherson and Will Willie Nelson and uh, um, just all those good uh, earthy singers from from country music, Merle Haggard. Uh, oh, yeah. And but at the same time, you know, uh, I was into all that good staff music from Memphis, um, you know, Otis Redding. And, uh, you know, the bar K's and, uh, I love, I love, you know, I, I was in kind of a, a strict home when I was a kid. So I grew up listening to American top 40. So I had no choice, but you know, that was my only music that I was allowed to listen to. So I ended up really loving bands like Duran Duran and, uh, Beastie Boys and Run DMC and um, and was also into I love black female singers like Anita Baker and Whitney Houston and yeah. that whole camp you know uh, Janet Jackson uh, Michael Jackson um, just uh, all that eight good eighties pop radio influence was always there for me but I was always into um, like something I always wanted to sort of build this Frankenstein of a sound in my head that had a little bit to do with ACDC back in black and a little bit to do with license to ill and a, a, a little bit to do with uh, NWA and ice cube and all that stuff. And I, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like Tracy Morgan and 30 rocks trying to figure out how to, how to make a, uh, porn and video games fit together and <laughs> yeah. i was trying to make i was always trying Turned to make rock and hip-hop fit together and oh, raise that's... against the machine trace raise against the machine changed everything they changed my life oh yeah man they're amazing i'm from you know georgia from the south and and well you are too i guess but you know stuck mojo was big where i'm from i don't know if you ever listened to them back in the day absolutely did a lot of touring with stuck mojo and Black, when I was in Blackbone, man, we knew uh, we knew Stuck Mojo uh, from back in the day, and they were they wow. used to be so funny because uh, they would get into anytime they ever got into it. I'll never forget this. Anytime they ever got into an argument, their singer would go, "Fellas, van," and they would, <laughs> they would disappear off to their van and they would they never argued in front of anybody they would always go to the van and hash it out and then they'd come back out and they were buddies again high-fiving each other and everything it was the oh, funniest dude. thing that's hilarious but i love man. those guys yeah yeah I'm, I'm, I'm friends with some of those guys that's really cool man uh starting when you know with, oh, okay well yeah i have a few questions for you but did you get your voice from church you said you grew up in in your in a strict household in church is that where you started singing yeah, you know, my dad was a preacher uh, for the first eight years of my life. Uh, he was a Pentecostal preacher, man. So all I knew was, uh, you know, church on Sunday all day long and church on Wednesday night and 
prayer meeting on Tuesday night, youth meeting on Friday night, and, uh, you know, dinner on the ground on Saturday night. And, you know, that, that was my life, you know? Yeah. So my first taste of music and harmony and melody was from the church. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for it. Cause you know, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a good influence. Yeah, man. I'm so I'm surprised that um, were you ever into Christian bands growing up? Because I had an older brother that was, so I was listening to some. You know, I know a lot of it's corny, but there were some that were occasionally okay. Did you ever listen to anything like that? Dude, I was I was I'm still good friends with uh, Michael Sweet on yeah, Instagram. Hey, look, I got a shirt on. Yeah, look at that. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. I was a huge I was a huge Striper fan. I was a drummer at the time. I started out playing wow. drums. And uh, loved his brother, Robert Sweet. Just thought he was like the Tommy Lee of Christian music. And uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I would go, you know, me and my best friend, William, we would uh, we would sleep out for tickets at Ticketmaster back in the day when they had hard oh, yeah. tickets. And we would get tickets to Motley Crue and, and Rat and all the different bands. But yeah, we <laughs> slept out for tickets to Striper. I remember that. Oh, that's so cool, man. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, going back to the saliva, you guys were signed what to Island? Was it Island Records for Am I, I Island Death Jam Records, yep. How did you guys get involved with them? Or were you just had a good scene going on, or were you guys like touring in a van? Well, we were we were doing a little bit of regional touring, but the thing that was going on at that time uh was bands uh like ourselves we we had put out uh uh sort of a we got a spec deal there in town with a little label called rock and share records and we our fans that we had built up in memphis uh were just begging us to put anything out just put out something and we were like oh we got demos and they're like so what we'll take demos so we jumped in the studio and and recorded it as best we could uh our uh, what we call the first album the black album and uh, we distributed it ourselves. Uh, we went to different record stores in and around Memphis and sort of uh, when they had record stores and uh, put our stuff on consignment, you know, which is what all the our rapper buddies were doing, like Three Six Mafia and mm-hmm. Fraser Boy and uh, Eight Ball and MJG and Crunchy Black. All those guys were consigning their cds to record stores and i worked at a record store in the mall of memphis called sam goody and we were just selling them like hotcakes so i was like well we should put our record back here so we consigned our music out to a bunch of different record stores and and we were getting some airplay from a couple of cool djs that were there in town at the time and we were getting uh just really good airplay. Our album was selling. We were selling it out of the trunk on Beale Street, just like three three six Mafia was right across the way, selling yeah. uh, their CD out of their trunk. Uh, I think the only difference was they were driving a Lexus, <laughs> and we were driving an old beat up Chevy van or something. But did you guys uh, meet them? Did you meet three six Mafia? Oh yeah, we're yeah we we pretty much came up with with three six Mafia man, oh, and nice. they they had this business figured out back in the nineties, man. So like if I came over and did a, you know, if I was going through some lean times or whatever, and wasn't making much money before saliva was signed, they would invite me over 
and I would jump on a, a three, six mafia record or a little white record and I would sing a hook or something. And they would take me in the next room and write me a check for like $10,000. Like it, like it wouldn't like they were wiping their nose. And I was just like, wow, man, thank you so much. You know? <laughs> and if it hadn't been for three, six mafia, man, they, I wouldn't have got through those lean times. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, I think record labels, we had been through every one of them, man. We had, uh, like I said, we were selling our own record. We were charting there in and around Memphis. Um, and record companies were picking up on that going, who the hell are these kids called saliva in Memphis? And why are they selling 10,000 units? And, uh, how are they on the radio? And they wanted to absorb us basically, or were interested in absorbing us into their company. And they would always invite us out to LA or invite us out to New York and put us up in some rehearsal hall. And we would set up and be all excited, you know, and do our set for them. And these businessmen would stand there with their arms folded like this. And when we were done, they go, yeah, you know, we're, we're, I think yeah. we're going to take a pass. And oh. I just got so sick of hearing the word pass. And I was like, why can't we do this in front of a live audience, man? Of course they're going to say no if they bring any band out here and we play in front of a room of 10 or 15 people with their arms folded. True. Of course they're going to say no. So when, 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 every, when every label had passed uh, from Epic to Capitol, uh, to Atlantic, to every RCA, all of them, uh, along comes Island Def Jam. And, uh, I ended up on a, 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 a call with, uh, the, the CEO at the time was Lior Cohen and the head of A&R and our producer was on the line and our manager was on the line. And, uh, the guy said, uh, okay, well, we're going to bring Sliva up to New York. We're going to put you guys up in a hotel and we're going to put you on a sound stage and, uh, we're going to bring our executives in and we're going we're gonna to do a showcase. And I, I just, something just came over me, man. And I just grew a set of balls, man. And I said, <laughs> you know what? No, I said, we're not going to do that. I said, you're more than welcome to come to Memphis, Tennessee and see us at the Omni New Daisy on Beale street and let us pack it with a thousand kids and let us rock the freaking walls down off that freaking building and then you can tell me no and they were there was this long it felt like an eternity but it was like 15 seconds of silence and then i heard leor cohen uh he's got this uh israeli special forces voice like dolph lundgren and he goes i think that's a good idea josie we will do that so <laughs> i was like <sighs> I was like, oh, oh God, I thought I just ended my career, man. But they <laughs> said they said, okay, we'll come down to Memphis and we'll 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 check it out there. We'll 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 see what you got in front of the fans. And they came down and saw us rock the party in front of our own hometown crowd, dude. And it was it was a banging show, dude. Mm. And uh, after the show, they were like, Okay, we're definitely we're definitely interested, you know. And um, from from that moment forward, we did a, a couple more shows and uh, more of their partners and executives came down and saw us again. And uh, the next thing you know, we were negotiating a deal between our lawyers and their lawyers. 
And uh, I, I even remember our lawyers saying, uh, yeah, they, they sent us the deal and we sent it back. And, and uh, I said, send it back. What'd you send it back for? I want to sign the freaking, I want to sign this freaking record deal. He goes, no, 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 Josie. He said, this is how this works. He goes, they, they say what they want to have in the contract. And we, uh, redline it or whatever and we send it back to them and there's a negotiation process he goes this will last about a month he goes this is totally normal he goes don't <laughs> don't get it he said they're in you're 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 signed pretty much from, from this moment forward so uh they yeah, finally that's a dream got, come true man for you. oh absolutely you know because that was the deal back in the day man nowadays with with these kids that have a million followers on youtube you couldn't mm. give a record deal away but back then it was that was the the starting gun man was the was the signing of the record label you knew you were going to be a worldwide national uh, uh national plus worldwide uh possibility act you know mm. and um so yeah that was a magical time man to 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 do that and Alan Alan Def Jam was just a good fit for us because I think Lior Cohen had a huge chip on his shoulder and he had proved, he had more than proved himself in hip hop with the beastie boys and uh, oh, run DMC and uh, you know, Russell Simmons for God's sakes had signed everybody that was anybody. I love that scene. Yeah. And um, yeah. And you know, they had Jay-Z and uh, eventually Kanye and, uh, you know, Mariah Carey. And so they had more than proved themselves in the hip hop uh, world and the R&B and pop world. And he had a big chip on his shoulder for the rock world. And he, he was ready to give us the, that big old early 2000s shot out of a cannon push. Mm. And uh, we just had to get our seatbelts on good and tight. <laughs> When you guys went to the studio, uh, was it different now that you're signed to this label? I mean, were they like, where you had to send them stuff constantly? Were they approving stuff and telling you to change stuff? and Or they let you do your own thing? No, they pretty much let us do our own thing. Um, they pretty much bought the first album. Uh, and there was just a few songs from the first album that didn't make the first national release, which was every six seconds. Um, like some of that carried over yeah. from the black album to, to every six seconds, but no, we just got with our producer, Bob Marlette. Uh, he came out to Memphis and he went through the songs with us and taught us, you know, just, we went to college with Bob Marlette because he taught us, you know, how, how uh, song structure is built and what a producer's job is. And, how to do things just a little bit better and how making those little changes can mean big things and you know what that meant and uh you know like i said just sent us to school man sent us to college and that the, the record company pretty much let us be ourselves oh well that's great did uh was it hard picking out was disease the first single off every six seconds your disease yeah your disease your disease yeah. Was that hard to pick that song, or do you guys know right away this is what we want? Yeah, well, you, your disease was the one that got us the record deal. You know, that was. Oh, the I'm one sorry. Yes, were, I missed that. Okay, yeah, I got you. That, that they were so interested in, and you know, we we were like, yeah, you know, that's uh, 
that's that's great if they want to make that the first single. And we had actually gotten the, the record written and I went back to Memphis. I was still living with my moms over uh, where in the house I went to high school <laughs> in. And I um, I'll never forget it, man. I was watching an episode of CSI okay. and I took an Ambien because I couldn't sleep and I laid down and tried to go to sleep because I was so excited. I couldn't sleep ever and uh, took this Ambien and I laid down and this song started playing in my head and it was like, and I was like, click, click, boom, I'm coming down with the stereo, hit me on the radio, click, click, boom, I'm coming down with the new style, and you know it's buck wild, and it, that, that all came out in two big sentences, like it was just given to me by the universe, man, and I was like, oh my god, this is bananas, dude, so I started, I started writing it down uh, because like Edgar Allan Poe said the best poetry he ever wrote he forgot because he okay. didn't have anything to yeah. write with so I, I wrote it down as quick as I could I had one of those big old 90s red big as a uh, Air Force One phone and I somehow figured out how to record a voicemail into my phone and record click click boom into the voicemail and then the next morning i uh got up and got on the phone with julie greenwald uh who was the vice president she was the vice president of uh island def jam at the time i love her so much and she i said i got this new song and it's bananas dude it is like this is this could be something good and she goes well sing it to me and i was like you want me to just sing it to you over the phone? And she was like, yeah, sing it to me. So I took this big old block ass phone and I put it up <laughs> to my head and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, it kind of goes like this. I'm like, click, click, boom, I'm coming down on the stereo. Hit me on the radio. Click, click, boom, I'm coming down with the new style. And you know it's pop pop. And dude, she was like, oh my God, oh my God, go get on a plane get your ass out here to LA. We're, we're going to record that. That's going on the album because the album was done, man. It was a wrap oh, wow. already. And we were, we were finished with that. But so I go and jump on a plane, flew back out there with Bob Marlette, uh, go out, go back out to his house uh, in Woodland Hills and recorded click, click, boom, man, right then and there. <laughs> what a story. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. You wrote it down, you know, that, like you yeah, said, you could have just thought of it and forgot about it. Absolutely. I'd almost think about re releasing that. Would you ever think about releasing that one first as your first uh, before your disease? Well, I mean, they were already in the process of getting things rolling with your disease. So we just always uh, considered that it was going to be the second single. And uh, sure enough, they 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 released it as the second single because because your disease did did really good. And went to number one on uh, alternative rock and regular rock radio. So we were like, you know, send up, uh, let's see what click, click, boom does. And click, click, boom just took off like a rocket, man. Oh yeah, and, man. It was a killer video too, by the way. I mean, I don't know who, who made the video. You may have mentioned it, but that, what a great video. Yeah. I loved, I loved uh, doing both those videos, but um, 
and then 9-11 happened oh like oh man and that was just you know that was devastating and uh we were on tour i was actually in new york city uh the night before on september 10th at a party of island def jam had thrown and i got to meet gwen stefani i'll never forget it uh oh that's amazing got to hang out with her a little bit and man what what a star dude you just like oh i have such a crush on her like how hot is she in person you know (laughs) like yeah seeing her in person like television and magazines just can't say the whole thing with gwen you have to see her like the queen says she has to be seen to be believed (laughs) um but she was totally not sweet and nice and i was nervous as hell because you know what do you say to gwen stefani so I'm just I'm a just an old dumb high school dropout from Memphis, Tennessee. You know, what do I have to say to Gwen Stefani? But I was just myself, you know, and she was uh, very kind and, and sweet. And uh, so that night I left that party and we went up to Maine to join the Godsmack tour. The Godsmack tour was starting the next day. And uh, I got up the next morning and jumped in the shower. And it was back when we still were had roommates. We had a roommate buddy uh, back when we were consolidating hotel rooms and and you know trying to save money. And me and Chris DeBaldo had a room, and Wayne Sweeney and Dave had a room, and uh, Paul and his drum tech had a room. And so I'm in the shower. I just got my head and everything all soaked up, you know, where you can't see or anything. And Chris DeBaldo was like boom, 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 beating on the door. And I'm like, Chris DeBaldo would not beat on the bathroom door with me in the shower unless it was something bad. So I'm like, I'm thinking, is it my kid? Is it my mom? Like something bad has happened. So I get out of the shower, soap still running down my body, and I grab a towel. And he goes, dude, th- there was just a plane crash. He goes, some, some kind of plane crash happened into the Twin Towers or he said into a tower and I said, what tower? And he said, the twin towers in New York city. And I was like, no way, bro. And we had, you know, the today show on that morning, like everybody. And we sat on the end of the bed there in the hotel. And right when I sat down and held my towel around me, cause I was freezing to death. I hear. <laughs> and the second plane hit dude. And I was like, Chris goes, oh my God, man, America's under attack, dude. This is, this is it, dude. We're, we're, we're getting attacked. He said, it's over with, it's all over with. And, um, cause he was like a conspiracy theorist anyway, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so he was tripping and, um, uh, it was just a nightmare, man. We, we felt so sorry for all the people in New York city and, we had, we, you know, we had family and friends in New York city. Our label was in New York city. Uh, we had a little friend that worked in the windows of the world restaurant that was at the top floor of one of the towers. And, you know, our heart just went out to, to oh. everybody involved. And um, then after that, you know, we're going through that tragedy and the Godsmack tour gets postponed and, we uh, took like three days off and everybody was just 
sort of trying to get a purchase on what was happening, what was going on. Yeah. And was America being attacked? Like what's happened? What's really going on? So, uh, after a few days, uh, we're hanging out in this hotel and Rob Stevenson, our A&R guy called me and he said, uh, are you sitting down? And I said, why? He goes, well, you need to sit down. I was like, dude, just tell me what, what is it? He said, they're taking click, click, boom off the radio. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He goes, it came down to three bands that they picked that have to not be played during this time. And uh, your song, Click, Click, Boom, was one of them. The other one was Let the Bodies Hit the Floor by Drowning Pool. Yeah. And, and and then he goes, and anything Rage Against the Machine has out. And I was wow. like, wow, man. And, um, you know, I didn't understand because I, I was on the phone with Bob Marlette and I, I was just pouring my heart out. And I was like, man, Click Click Boom is about dreams and aspirations and being that little kid sitting in your room. Right. watching all the other kids play outside and you've got dreams and your dreams are so big. You're trying to write songs and play guitar and, 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 and fulfill your, your biggest dreams. It's supposed to be an inspirational hymn, man. Yeah. And he goes, and, and he tell, he told me something I'll never forget. Scott. He said, Josie, we don't get the, uh, we don't get the advantage of explaining ourselves to the audience. And I was wow. like, wow. Cause that's true. You yeah. know what I mean? We, we don't get the, the privilege. No, the privilege. He said, we don't get the privilege of explaining ourselves to the audience. You know, I don't get to pop out of the radio right before click, click, boom comes on and goes, Hey guys, this is not about blowing up buildings. This is actually about dreams and aspirations I had when I was a little kid. And it, you know, I don't get to do that. So yeah, it's before uh, social media too. So you didn't have that direct, you know, right. Know. That's right. A good point. But uh, yeah, you know, it, 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 did you guys, so did, when did you guys go back on tour after that little break? I mean, did you finish it with Godsmack or? Yeah, we, we went back out with Godsmack, man. Godsmack was so tasteful during these times, man. Uh, just, they really, you know, it takes a tragedy like nine 11 you find out who people really are and Godsmack was just so kind and giving and um, had so much empathy uh, for the people of, of New York and the people of the United States, you know what I mean? And we like joined hands on stage and we'd say a prayer before the concert started and just all these very tasteful, loving, kind generous things that Godsmack uh, themselves um, came up with. And I just thought that was, I just thought that showed who those guys really were, uh, you know, in a time of tragedy like that, they, they were men of valor. And I had, uh, I had a lot of respect and do have continue to have a lot of respect for Godsmack. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Speaking of different bands that you toured with, I got to bring this up because I'm friends with Eric Rogers. He's one of the second people I ever interviewed, but he talks about you occasionally that he, he used to guys 
used to tour together stereo mud or, or sound device or one of those bands do you remember eric rogers yeah i remember stereo mud being on tour stereo mud a lot yeah it's funny he would talk about you it was all good but then now i gotta tell him that, that i'm actually talking to you now <laughs> i had to bring that up i had that in my notes to bring up uh what all was right. it like doing going back into the studio doing your uh your follow-up i mean you had a um, amazing song always i used to love that song thank you um well you know i always had uh talk about a chip on your shoulder i always had a big chip on my shoulder for that second record because the second record proves where whether or not you're supposed to be in the nfl you know because the first record could be a flute the first record could be uh, you know, you got lucky or, you know, somebody knew somebody or uh, it could be a million different uh, reasons. But that second record proves whether you deserve to be there or not. Uh, like Lior Cohen told me one time, he goes, he goes, Josie, you've had your whole life to write your first record. He goes, you have six weeks to write your second one. <laughs> he goes it better be good <laughs> <laughs> it's true though right yeah it's absolutely true man uh so we you know jumped in the studio with bob um we went out to this cool studio out in bearsville new york where uh the band back in the 60s the band uh set up this studio compound uh in bearsville new york um and it's a uh, like an old, old timey, uh, one of those old wooden houses, like out in one of those ranch houses out in the middle of a field. And around oh, yes. it, yeah. it has different homes, uh, these different ranch homes around it, that the band stay in. And uh, we were staying there and uh, Matchbox 20 was recording there. And uh, I, I think uh, Dave Mustaine was recording there. And we wow. were in Studio B in uh, at, in Bearsville, New York, at at, at the band studio. Uh, but it was just a the perfect environment. I don't know. There was just a vibe. There's like it's like two minutes from Woodstock, New York, where they had Woodstock back in the '60s. And there's just this real hippie vibe, and there's deer everywhere. And you know, uh, we used to feed the deer every day. They would come right up to the to the cabin and it was just the perfect element to write uh songs in and uh we pretty much had the 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 lion's share of the second record done uh i had written a song for a movie uh called daredevil uh uh and the song was called bleed for me um because the daredevil movie was coming out um and but we needed that first single. So uh, we were sitting around and just spitting out songs. I wrote uh, Family Reunion and all these different songs. And uh, me and Bob just came up. He, he, he had this riff, this dun, 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 dun. And he was, and he just was going. And I was like, always, always always i just can't live without you i love you i hate you i can't get around you 
I breathe you, I taste you, I can't live without you. And then I just went, I just can't take anymore this life of solitude. I pick myself off the floor and now I'm done with you. It just all came, like click, click, boom. It just all came out in two, two big sentences. And um, like Elvis says, I don't believe it's from me. I think it's through me. I think you just have to have that receptor open you know to the universe to, for god to send those songs down through you and yeah. um, man it, it just all came out and bob was like yes yes that's <laughs> it get in there get in there right now that's that's a song that's a song so that's amazing uh, you just can think of those lyrics like that they just pour out of you like you said i mean that's that's a gift yeah it's ab absolutely a gift man and it just uh poured poured out of us and and you know when when you have a good fertile songwriting environment like that it it begats other songs you know what i mean i, I wrote all kinds of uh i wrote two or three songs that day i wrote uh one of my favorite slide of songs ever is famous monsters i wrote that song that night uh oh, cool. and uh i wrote a song called holding on and uh just some really good music came out of it, but always we knew always was, was going to be special. And, um, so I was confident, you know, that we were going to at least slap something out of the park on that, on that, uh, sophomore effort, you know, cause I didn't, I, I was, like you said, I was scared to death of that sophomore slump, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I, uh, well, I, last question about that album, Rest in Pieces. Was that, um, that was a killer song, man. Did, did you co-write that with somebody or is that? No, actually, uh, Nikki Six, I became good friends with Nikki Six. Uh, I went to, to rehab out in Los Angeles and took a little break from partying and acting a fool out on the road and uh, went to Promises out in L.A. and spent uh 32 days out there best one of the best decisions i ever made in my life um you know got straightened out and uh nikki nikki was just really uh helpful during that time he knew that uh he was my idol and uh he knew that i had a lot of respect for him for his sobriety and for how he turned his life around and you know, he'd like died like four or five times, yeah. come back to life. And um, he knew how much love and respect I had for him. And uh, he was really supportive. And, you know, him and his friend picked me up at the airport. They took me to promises. Uh, he would come and I didn't have any family. Uh, uh, every every Saturday was family day and different people from that were there that were from Los Angeles. Uh, their family would come visit him, but I didn't have any family at the time. And uh, so he said, you know, I'll, I'll come visit you on family day. I'll be your family. Wow. And he was just so sweet and, and so kind and uh, was kind of like my, my unofficial sponsor through, through that time. And we just got to talking about music and how much we loved uh, writing and um, how much we loved you know, different sounds and, and different things. And, and he said, well, I got this song. He goes, me and my, me and my partner, John, uh, John Michael have been, 
writing some songs together. And this was back when he was still doing Brides. I think he was doing Brides of Destruction at the time, but right, he was I think so, yeah. he, he was about to uh to do uh 6 a.m. with with John Michael and John Michael ended up being the singer. And uh so I got to meet him and he was phenomenal. And um uh, he said, Yeah, I got this song. It's called Rest in Pieces. And I was like, Rest in Pieces. I was like, that's freaking dope, dude. I was like, that's freaking sick. A play on words, man. Rest in pieces. He goes, yeah, man, it's about, you know, loving, losing, getting your heart broke and all this stuff, all, all the good stuff, man. So, uh, yeah, that was written by Nikki Six and and, uh, and John Michael, his songwriting partner. But, yeah, man, what a song, dude. And what a an opportunity to get to hang out with, with Nikki six, man. I told him when he came and visited me in rehab, I was just like, man, you are my idol, dude. So forgive me if I stare. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're, you are just like, I, I used to have your posters on my wall when I was in junior high and high school and you were it, man. You know, you were the guy, dude. Yeah. And, uh, He's just like, oh man, it's cool. It's totally cool, man. When He's you're just a, a cool cat. when you're on top like that, of like, uh, you know, on top of, I don't know what you call it, on top, of like being a rock star. I guess is it, does it feel like you're a rock star? I mean, because you're you're talking about Nikki Sticks, but people think you are too. I mean, does it feel different when you're on top like that? Man, I never. I, I tried to. I tried to not look at it like that because I knew that that was a slippery slope, you know. Like my my mom and dad used to tell me, be careful, son, because pride goes before the fall. And you know that 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 not only is that the word of God, but it's a, a, a true statement. You know that pride will will eat you alive, uh, and it's a very slippery slope. So I always looked at, at calling myself a rock star or anything like that as as a, a dangerous thing. So. Um, I, I, I tried to stay away from it, but yeah, it was, you know, people say to me to this day, they'll come up to me and go, man, I don't mean to bother you, but can I possibly get an autograph or can we possibly take a picture? I'm like, bother me. I'm like, dude, you could never bother me. I mean, do you know how many shitty bars I played uh, to nothing but the staff members for years and years and years and years and how many pool tables I slept on and how many pool tables I slept under to get to this spot, man. Right. I I'm thankful and grateful and honored that fans come up and want an autograph or want a picture. Uh, you know, if they want a picture with my old ugly mug, I'm, I'm so thankful for it, man. So oh, dude, you're so uh, humble, man. That's really cool to hear. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't want to keep talking about saliva, but I have to talk about Hero. I mean, did you co-write that song with Chad from Nickelback? What a mass. I mean, that song was massive. Spider-Man yeah, well, soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, Leor wanted to get. Uh, that was another one of Leor's bright ideas. He was like, <laughs> I want to get the biggest rock singer I have with the biggest <laughs> rock singer that Canada has. He goes, I want to get you guys together and see what magic you can make. 
And I, you know, I, I had been on tour with, with Nickelback when they were first starting out and uh, had just come out with how you remind me and loved uh, those guys loved Chad. And I was like, sure, man, absolutely. I'd love to get together with Chad and, and see what we can come up with. And, uh, so I flew out to Vancouver and man, oh, I just fell in love with Canada. It's just so gorgeous. And I'd never seen a mega city like a metropolis uh, outside of uh, America that was like Vancouver. You know, uh, it's like the Hong Kong of Canada if you will, you know, it's sort of divided by a river and it's just all these beautiful buildings. And so I, I was just totally romantic, romanticized by the city of Vancouver. And, you know, Chad came out and picked me up and took me to dinner and um, put me in a nice hotel. And I was still, you know, like just blown away by these things because I'm like, again, I'm just a high school dropout from Memphis, Tennessee, you know, that grew up poor so right. seeing and doing these things is magical, uh, you know. So uh, we finally got in the studio together and he wanted to do. Uh, they said that there was an opportunity with the Spider-Man soundtrack. They were looking to add a song. They were already ready to go to press with a single. The first single was going to be uh, some 41 song, I believe. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, they said, you know, we're looking to get a song to finish off the the soundtrack for Spider-Man. And they were, wanted to see what we could come up with. So Chad wanted to do something that was more in line with like a click, click, boom or or something in that vein. And I was like, man, you know, that's cool and everything. I said, but I want to do something sort of organic that this just you know sort of me and special for me and you and he goes well he goes i got this one idea he goes but nickelback doesn't like it and i said well play you know let's hear it and so he he played the the meat and potatoes you know the the verse chorus uh verse of uh of hero and i was like i was my jaw was on the floor and i turned and opened the door and I screamed for my A&R guy. I was like, Rob, get in here, bro. You got to hear this song hero. Oh my gosh. So he played it again and all the A&R people that were there were blown away. And uh, then uh, Chad's like, okay, we'll leave us alone for a couple, like an hour or two and let us figure out these different parts and transitions and everything. Now I was there for that part of it. And we, we sort of sussed out where uh, this was going to go and that was going to go and how the harmonies were going to be and everything. And uh, uh, Chad was, was generous calling me a co-writer. I'll just say that uh, for, for that song, but I was very thankful and grateful to this day uh, for being a co-writer on that song. Um, but yeah, we got it together. It was magic. Yeah, Absolutely. Man. Like, just got I got that feeling that click click boom gave me that always gave me and you just have that feeling where you know you just know that this song is dripping with that good stuff you know and we went in the studio and uh laid it down and uh got all the vocals and harmonies <clears throat> and 
uh, sort of the transitions recorded. And then, then they, he was like, well, what guitar player do you, do we want? And I was like, I don't know, man, I guess anybody that we can get. So he was trying to get Jerry Cantrell. Whoa. And uh, so he, he, he was on the phone with him and, uh, I just never heard somebody talk like Tad. He was like, yeah, uh, all right, Jerry, we're going to fly you down here. And uh, he goes, well, how much is it going to cost us? He goes, 40. Okay. He turned around, just turned around to his manager. And he's like, we're going to need $40,000 for Jerry. Can somebody get $40,000? And I'm just like, I'm just like, yeah. so, uh, but Jerry ended up, uh, having a scheduling conflict and then they called um uh matt cameron from um from pearl jam yeah from soundgarden yeah. he, he, he was in soundgarden at the time and would eventually be in pearl i think he's in pearl jam now he's in right? pearl jam now yeah 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 so. and uh so he came down um his wife was pregnant. He said, my wife's pregnant, but I'll come down and see if I can knock it out real quick and get back up here to Seattle. Um, because it was just a little hop, skip and a jump between Seattle and Vancouver. So he flew up and dude, like watching this guy was just absolute magic, man. I wish I had had a video camera, uh, you know, back then, uh, we didn't have our phones yet. So, uh, I wish I had my phone back then because I would have videotaped every bit of this. Um, so Matt's coming in that morning, this old man. And I, I got there early because I, I didn't want to miss a thing. And uh, this old man comes in and he's setting up these drums and they're Slingerland drums. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I used to be a drummer. I love yeah. Slingerland drums. I was like, those are those are some of the dopest drums around, man. I was like, I was like, man. And I was talking to the old man about matt's sound and what he liked and how he tuned and what sticks he used and just all these things that this little kid running around aggravating this old man as he put this drum kit together wanted to know and uh i got back into the studio and everybody else started to get there and as the old man sort of got finished and got everything finalized for matt and got ready for him to come in and play they said, uh, you know who that is, don't you? And I was like, no, I've been hanging out with him all morning. He's a sweet old man. I, I thought he was Matt's drum tech. He said, no, man, that's not Matt's drum tech. He said, that's Mr. Slingerland. Whoa. I said, excuse me? He goes, yeah. He goes, that's the guy That's the guy that, that he's the son of the father that made Slingerland drums. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, man. I've been hanging out with this old man all morning. <laughs> and we, like, bonded and had coffee together and everything over him putting Matt Cameron's drums together. And he, the whole time I was talking to the boss man, dude. <laughs> and uh, so, but this was really uh, magical to watch. This is a great story. Uh, Matt comes in mm-hmm. and he, he goes, let me hear the song. Uh, I'm going to listen to it three times. He he listened to it. They rewound it. He listened to it again. They rewound it. He listened to it again. He goes, okay, I'm ready. He walked in there. 
sat down with his back to us at the drums and just laid down this sick ass dude he started it with that drum roll that someone told me love one else i was just like i was like dude i was flabbergasted so he took he took three passes he listened to it three times took three passes of playing it and then he came in there and he goes all right guys my job is done here got to get back to seattle my wife's Uh. pregnant see ya and and chad was like ribbing him he goes oh you think you can just come in here and play this song three times and he goes yeah he goes they call me shoddy mcworkmanship (laughs) threw his backpack over his arm and out the door he went and i was just sitting there going (laughs) i was just flabbergasted yeah that's amazing plus you're a drummer you know so that's that's really something God, that's amazing. Yeah, you have great stories, man. You should uh you ever think think about writing a book or anything like that or doing like an audio? Yeah, man. I'm 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 actually uh I've been working on a book for a couple of years now. Um that's kind of life story, but including all all the blackbone and and uh saliva stuff and uh shade violent stuff as well. But yeah, oh, dude, cool. I definitely I definitely want to do a book. Would you ever do an audible? Like I'm big into audible right now. So that's me too. Me too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. I'm obsessed with audible right now. Oh, man. me too. Uh, I, I, I like, cause I, I can't, I have ADD, so I can't yeah, sit down same. and read a book. So, but I can pop my headphones on and like be playing music or cleaning house or doing anything. And I can listen to a whole freaking biography or, you know, before, yeah. before, before the day's over, you know what I mean? And I listened, I listened to, uh, I've read like, uh, Johnny Carson's. Oh, I love uh, Johnny Carson. Autobiography. Yeah. Me too. I'm a huge Johnny Carson fan. And oh, just cool. all these books that I would have never been able to read, but I can listen to them. I've, I read Paul Stanley's new book. Um, oh, I heard. Yeah. Gene Simmons book. I'm a huge kiss fanatic. I got, I think I got my kiss shirt on. Oh, nice. Are you? Yeah. yeah. Are you going to go see them on their farewell? Or is it the the last tour they're on right now? Or they're going to be on? Man, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to if I can. Um, I, I I have some really great memories of because uh, we got to tour with Kiss and Aerosmith. Whoa. And uh, I have such great memories of that tour. I just sort of want to leave it like it is in my in my mind but but i definitely would if i had the opportunity and and the the tickets were available i would definitely go see them i <laughs> love this me and my best friend scott uh who's been my assistant for the last 20 years me and him we wake up every day and the first thing we do we don't even say good morning we'll send each other a, a picture of kiss from the 70s like gene simmons or ace freely <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that's cool uh, are, are you into 80s kiss at all or just 70s kiss no i'm into i'm into 80s kiss too man my favorite album was uh animalize i i love the animalize record and and the lick it up record i thought was the freaking bomb dude i thought that was a <laughs> <Yeah>. great record <laughs> that's cool uh when when 2020 happened chris jericho did a did a band where they just did they streamed they they covered 80s kiss only it was really cool. No way. 
Yeah, I have to send you some stuff sometime. It was I love cool. Chris Jericho, man. He is a he is a sweetheart. Oh, that's cool. You know him. Um, I wrote I wrote his uh, I wrote his intro music uh, back in the day in uh, WWE. Oh, you did the Black Tuesday song. You 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 wrote that? Yeah, I did. Whoa, that's amazing. I wrote uh, Batista's intro music. I wrote Y2J's intro music. I wrote. Uh, the Dudley Boys intro music. Um, yeah, man, I wrote I wrote a lot of that stuff. Me and Jim Johnston, the musical director, he's not there anymore. But me and Jim mm-hmm. Johnston, man, we were like that back in the day. And he he would call me in and because he'd write all those, you know. So it was that was right up my alley, you know. Oh man, you you got some skills, man. That's amazing. I never knew that. Uh, Shave Violent, how did you, uh, you got the band together? How'd you get the, the, I mean, I'm assuming you got a guitar player, drummer, the whole, whole thing. Is that complete? Yeah, Have you uh, guys recorded? We're not recording yet. Um, I'm, I'm in the studio right now with a producer banging out some songs. Um, because you know, that, like you said, the, that gift of hearing, those songs and and having to write them down before you forget them that's never stopped for me even after i left saliva in 2011 uh you know throughout from 2012 until now i've you know had those moments where a song will come to me and i'm just like my wife says i get the look <laughs> i get this i get this glazed over look on my face and she'll be talking to me and i'll I'll, I'll I'll be looking at her and and doing this, but she goes, "You're not hearing a word I'm saying, are you?" And I'm just like, "I'm sorry, I just came up with a song," and she's like, "Write it down, just go ahead and record it." So I'll write it down real quick and record it into my phone. But that's never stopped. So I've got like song after song after song. Um, like I've easily got an album's worth of material now. I've just it's just been getting to the right producer and the right uh element to to be able to take advantage of this new technology that's out there you know with pro tools and and the different uh you know now like i i'm used to being in the studio back in the day where you you had to have the marshall amplifier and you had to have that pedal if you wanted that special tone or you had to physically have that stuff now you can just click into the computer, pick out the freaking amp you want, pick out the pedal you want, and you're off to the races. Right. So I'm, I'm trying, I, I've gotten with this uh, producer uh, named CJ Calhoun here in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, who is uh, helping me navigate those not so untricky waters. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and he's, he's, he's helping me learn and, and uh, how to, get my ideas out i told my manager i said i need i need a song purge i need like a song dump you know what i mean right yeah it's like being pregnant you know i need to have all these babies it's good you don't have writer's block though i mean you you said it just pours out of you that's amazing that's that's a great yeah, gift. i've been very very blessed and lucky and it, like i said it's not from me if it was up to me i don't i don't think i'd be able to write happy birthday but yeah with with that that thing that comes in man from from 
from the man upstairs. Dude. Yeah, it's, it's a gift he gave you. That's amazing. Gift, Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, well, you know what? It's really cool talking to you, and this is uh, I had fun, man. I like these stories. Yeah. You're a good Thank guy. You. You're a good guy, Scott. It's good to meet you, brother. Good to meet you. And I got to give a shout out to, I may have done it again. I can't remember, but uh, uh, Dane, Josh and Dane from uh, the sports show. I think they interviewed you. They, they kind of got me this interview, which was really cool. Yeah. Josh and Dane. Shout out to Josh and Dane, man. Those guys were cool, man. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Josie, I appreciate it, man. This is fun. Yeah, man. And I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, man, I'm gonna be doing in-person interviews next year, so hopefully try to get you on the show sometime or come out there and. Oh yeah. Out and so you're in. It. You said you're in Georgia. What part of Georgia are you in? Uh, Gainesville, Oakwood area. It's north of Atlanta. About, okay. About an hour north. Yep. All right. You ever get around love, to Georgia? Yeah, man, I love that area. Uh, my boy Seven Dust or uh, oh, from around there. Yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, I've had all those guys on the show. The Lowry, uh, the the Lowry brothers. They're yes, from, they're from Georgia. Corey still yeah. lives in Georgia, man. Cool. You, you know, we used to tour with them in Blackbone. They were in. Uh, I can't remember the name of the band, but we, we used oh, to wait, tour. Wait. Oh, Still Rain. Is it Still Rain? Still Rain. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh Blackbone, wow, that's so cool, dude. Blackbone and Still Rain and Stuck Mojo. We've played several shows together, man. That's amazing. Have you oh, have you that. have you have you talked to the singer for Stuck Mojo lately? Bones, what was his I name? Him... Knuckles. What Bones. was his name? Knuckles? Bones. Yes, I had him on the show. Yeah, yeah. I talk to him every once in a while. Yeah, man. T send him a message and tell him I said what's up and and get a hold to me, man. I love that guy, man. I will, me man. And, I'll pass you. Dude, me and him have been on the road. We we cut our teeth together, man. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we should do an episode with you and Bones just talking about the old days. Dude, that'd be dope. Yeah, that's so cool. You're part of that scene. I, I never knew that, man. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joe Scott, man. I appreciate it, man. We'll keep in touch, and uh, I'll I'll suit you the 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 episode. All right, brother. Thank you, Scott, man. It was a pleasure. And that was awesome, please, man. Please check me out uh, on JosieScottRocks.com, and I'll see oh, you yeah. again soon, brother. Thank you, Ben. See you, dude. Later. Later, brother.